Welcome to Mrs. Nappy's Notes. Native Son, Book 2, Flight, pages 129 to 150. Well, he would go out. To go out now would be to answer the feeling of strain that had come over him while talking to Mrs. Dalton. He would go and see Bessie. That was it. He got his cap and coat and went to the basement. The suction of air through the furnace moaned, and the fire was white-hot, and there was enough coal to last until he came back. He went to 47th Street and stood on the corner to wait for a car. Yes, Bessie was the one he wanted to see now. Funny, he had not thought of her much during the last day and night. Too many exciting things had been happening. He had had no need to think of her. But now, he had to forget and relax, and he wanted to see her. She was always home on Sunday afternoons. He wanted to see her very badly. He felt that he would be stronger to go through tomorrow if he saw her. The streetcar came, and he got on, thinking of how things had gone that day. No, he did not think they would suspect him of anything. He was black. Again, he felt the roll of crisp bills in his pocket. If things went wrong, he could always run away. He wondered how much money was in the roll. He had not even counted it. He would see when he got to Bessie's. No, he need not be afraid. He felt the gun nestling close to his skin. That gun could always make folks stand away and think twice before bothering him. But of the whole business, there was one angle that bothered him. He should have gotten more money out of it. He should have planned it. He had acted too hastily and accidentally. Next time, things would be much different. He would plan and arrange so that he would have money enough to keep him a long time. He looked out of a car window and then around at the white faces near him. He wanted suddenly to stand up and shout, telling them that he had killed a rich white girl, a girl whose family was known to all of them. Yes, if he did that, a look of startled horror would come over their faces. But no, he would not do that, even though the satisfaction would be keen. He was so greatly outnumbered that he would be arrested, tried, and executed. He wanted the keen thrill of startling them, but felt the cost was too great. He wished that he had the power to say what he had done without the fear of being arrested. He wished that he could be an idea in their minds, that his black face and the image of his smothering Mary and cutting off her head and burning her could hover before their eyes as a terrible picture of reality which they could see and feel and yet not destroy. He was not satisfied with the way things stood now. He was a man who had come in sight of a goal, then had won it, and in winning it had seen just within his grasp another goal, higher greater. He had learned to shout, and had shouted, and no ear had heard him. He had just learned to walk, and was walking, but could not see the ground beneath his feet. He had long been yearning for weapons to hold in his hands, and suddenly found that his hands held weapons that were invisible. The car stopped a block from Bessie's home, and he got off. When he reached the building in which she lived, he looked up to the second floor and saw a light burning in her window. 
The street lights came on, suddenly lighting up the snow-covered sidewalks with the yellow sheen. It had gotten dark early. The lamps were round, hazy balls of light frozen into motionlessness, anchored in space and kept from blowing away in the icy wind by black steel posts. He went in and rang the bell and, in answer to a buzzer, mounted the stairs and found Bessie smiling at him in her door. "'Hello, stranger.' "'Hi, Bessie.' He stood face to face with her, then reached for her hands. She shied away. "'What's the matter?' "'You know what's the matter.' "'No, I don't.' "'What are you reaching for me for?' "'I want to kiss you, honey.' "'You don't want to kiss me.' "'Why?' "'I ought to be asking you that. "'What's the matter?' "'I saw you with your white friends last night.' Ah, oh, they wasn't my friends. Who was they? I work for them. And you eat with them? Ah, oh, Bessie, you didn't even speak to me. I did. You just growled and waved your hand. Ah, oh, baby, I was working then, you understand? I thought maybe you ashamed of me sitting there with that white gal all dressed in silk and satin. Oh, hell, Bessie, come on, don't act that way. You really want to kiss me? Sure, what you think I came here for? How come you so long seeing me then? I told you, I've been working, honey. You saw me last night. Come on, don't act this way. I don't know, she said, shaking her head. He knew that she was trying to see how badly he wanted her, trying to see how much power she still had over him. He grabbed her arm and pulled her to him, kissing her long and hard feeling as the, as he did so that she was not responding. When he took his lips away, he looked at her with his eyes full of reproach, and at the same time he felt his teeth clamping and his lips tingling slightly with rising passion. Let's go in, he said. If you want to. Sure I want to. You stayed away so long. Oh, don't be that way. They went in. How come you acting so cold tonight? You could have dropped me a postcard, she said. Oh, I just forgot it. Or you could have phoned. Honey, I was busy. Looking at that old white gal, I reckon. Aw, oh, hell. You don't love me no more. The hell I don't. You could have come by just for five minutes. Baby, I was busy. When he kissed her this time, she responded a little. To let her know that he wanted her... A he allowed her to draw his tongue into her mouth. I'm tired tonight, she sighed. Who you been seeing? Nobody. What are you doing tired? If you want to talk that way, you can leave right now. I didn't ask who you been seeing to make you stay away this long, did I? You wanted it tonight. You could have just said, hello, dog. Really, honey, I was busy. You was sitting there at that table with them white folks like you was a lawyer or something. You wouldn't even look at me when I spoke to you. Oh, forget it. Let's talk about something else. He attempted to kiss her again, and she shied away. Come on, honey. Who you been with? Nobody. I swear I've been working, and I've been thinking hard about you. I've been missing you. Listen, I got a room all my own where I'm working. Some nights you can come stay with me, see? Gee, I've been missing you awful, honey. Soon as I got time, I came right over. 
He started. He stood looking at her in the dim light of the room. She was teasing him, and he liked it. At least it took him away from that terrible image of Mary's head lying on the bloody newspaper. He wanted to kiss her again, but deep down he did not really mind her standing off from him. It made him hunger more keenly for her. She was looking at him wistfully, half leaning against a wall, her hands on her hips. Then suddenly he knew how to draw her out, to drive her from her mind all thought of her teasing him. He reached into his pocket and drew forth the roll of bills. Smiling, he held it in his palm and spoke as though to himself. Well, I reckon somebody else might like this if you don't. She came a step forward. Bigger! Gee, where'd you get all that money from? Wouldn't you like to know? How much is it? What you care? She came to his side. How much is it really? What you want to know for? Let me see it. I'll give it back to you. I'll let you see it. But it'll have to stay in my hand. See? He watched the expression of coyness on her face change to one of amazement as she counted the bills. Lord, Bigger, where'd you get this money from? Wouldn't you like to know, he said, slipping his arm about her waist. Is it yours? What in the hell you reckon I'm doing with it? Tell me where'd you get it from, honey. You going to be sweet to me? He felt her body growing gradually less stiff, but her eyes were searching his face. You ain't got nothing. You ain't gotten to nothing, is you? You going to be sweet to me? Oh, bigger. Kiss me, honey. He felt her relax completely. He kissed her and she drew into him on the bed. They sat down. Gently, she took the money from his hand. How much is it, he asked. Don't you know? Nah. Didn't you count it? Nah. Bigger, where did you get this money from? Maybe I'll tell you some day, he said, leaning back and resting his head on the pillow. You into something. How much is there? A hundred and twenty-five dollars. You gonna be sweet to me? But bigger, where'd you get this money from? What did that matter? You gonna buy me something? Sure. What? Anything you want. They were silent for a moment. Finally, his arm about her waist felt her body relax into a softness he knew and wanted. She rested her head on the pillow, and he put his money in his pocket and leaned over her. Gee, honey, I've been wanting you real bad. For real? Honest to God. He placed his hands on her breast just as he had placed them on Mary's last night, and he was thinking that while he kissed her. He took his lips away for breath and heard Bessie say, Don't stay away from me so long next time. You hear, honey? I won't. You love me? Sure. He kissed her again and he felt her arm lifting above his head and he heard the click as the light went out. He kissed her again, hard. Bessie? Hmm? Come on, honey. They were still a moment longer. Then she rose. He waited. He heard her clothes rustling in the darkness. She was undressing. He got up and began to undress. Gradually, he began to see in the darkness she was on the other side of the bed. 
her dark body like a shadow in the denser darkness surrounding her. He heard the bed creak as she lay down. He went to her, folding her into his arms, mumbling, Gee, kid. He felt two soft palms holding his face tenderly and the thought and image of the whole blind world which had made him ashamed and afraid fell away as he felt her as a fallow field beneath him, stretching out under a cloudy sky waiting for rain. And he slept in her body, rising and sinking with the ebb and flow of her blood being willingly dragged into a warm night sea to rise renewed to the surface, to face a world he hated and wanted to blot out of existence, clinging close to a fountain whose warm waters washed and cleansed his senses, cooled them, made them strong and keen again to see and smell and touch and taste and hear, cleared them to end the tiredness and reforge him in a new sense of time and space. After he had been tossed to dry upon a warm sunlit rock, under a white sky, he lifted his hand slowly and heavily and touched Bessie's lips with his fingers and mumbled, Gee, kid, bigger. He took his hand away and relaxed. He did not feel that he wanted to step forth and resume where he had left off living. Not just yet. He was lying at the bottom of a deep, dark pit upon a pallet of warm, wet straw, and at the top of the pit he could see the cold blue of the distant sky. Some hand had reached inside of him and had laid a quiet finger of peace upon the restless tossing of his spirit, and had made him feel that he did not need to long for a home now. Then... Like the long, withdrawing sound of a receding wave, the sense of night and sea and warmth went from him, and he lay looking in the darkness at the shadowy outline of Bessie's body, hearing his and her breathing. Bigger? Huh. Do you like your job? Yeah, why? I just asked. You swell. You mean that? Sure. Where are you working? Over on Drexel. Drexel? Where? In the 4600 block. Oh. What? Nothing. But what? Oh, I just happened to think of something. Tell me, what is it? It ain't nothing bigger, honey. What did she mean by asking all these questions? He wondered if she had detected anything in him. Then he wondered if he were not letting fear get the better of him by... Thinking always in terms of Mary and having her having her having been smothered and burnt, but he wanted to know why she had asked and asked where he worked. Come on, honey, tell me what you're thinking. It ain't nothing much bigger. I used to work over there in that section, not far from where the Leib folks lived. Leib, yeah, one of the families of one of the boys that killed the Frank boys. Remember? Nah, what you mean? You remember hearing people talk about Leib and Leopold? Oh, the ones who killed the boy and then tried to get money from the boy's family? By sending notes to them. Bigger was not listening. The world of sound fell abruptly away from him and a vast picture appeared before his eyes. 
a picture teeming with so much meaning that he could not react to it all at once. He lay, his eyes unblinking, his heart pounding, his lips slightly open, his breathing coming and going so softly that it seemed he was not breathing at all. You remember them? Oh, you ain't even listening. He said nothing. How come you won't listen when I talk to you? Why could, why could he not, not send a letter to the Daltons asking for money? Bigger! He sat up in bed, staring into the darkness. What's the matter, honey? He could ask for 10,000 or maybe 20. Bigger, what's the matter? I'm talking to you. He did not answer. His nerves were taut with the hard effort to remember something. Now, yes, Leob and Leopold had planned to have the father of the murdered boy get on a train and throw the money out of the window while passing some spot. He leaped from the bed and stood in the middle of the floor, bigger he could yes he could have them pack the money in the shoebox and have them throw it out of the car somewhere on the south side he looked round in the darkness feeling bessie's fingers on his arm he came to himself and sighed what's the matter honey she asked huh what's on your mind nothing come on and tell me you worried nah nah now i told you what was on my mind but you won't tell me what's on yours that ain't fair I just forgot something, that's all. That ain't what you was thinking about, she said. He sat back on the bed, feeling his scalp tingle with excitement. Could he do it? This was what had been missing, and this was what, what would make the thing complete. But this thing was so big he would have to take time to think it over carefully. Honey, tell me where you got that money. What money? he asked in a tone of feigned surprise. Oh, Bigger, I know something's wrong. You worried. You got something on your mind. I can tell it. You want me to make something up to tell you? All right, if that's the way you feel about it. Oh, Bessie, you didn't have to come here tonight. Maybe I shouldn't have come. You don't have to come no more. You don't love me? About as much as you love me. How much is that? You ought to know. Oh, let's stop fussing, he said. He felt the bed sag gently and heard the bed covers rustling as she pulled them over. He turned his head and stared at the dim whites of her eyes in the darkness. Maybe, yes, maybe he could, maybe he could use her. He leaned and stretched himself on the bed beside her. She did not move. He put his hands upon her shoulder, pressing it just softly enough to let her know that he was thinking about her. His mind tried to grasp and encompass as much of her life as it could, tried to understand and weigh it in relation to his own, as his hand rested on her shoulder. Could he trust her? How much could he tell her? Would she act with him, blindly, believing his word? Come on, let's get dressed and go out and get something to eat, she said. Okay. You ain't acting like you always act tonight got something on my mind. Can't you tell me? I don't know. Don't you trust me? Sure. Then why don't you tell me? He did not answer. Her voice had come in a whisper, a whisper he had heard many times when she wanted something badly. It brought him a full sense of her life, what he had been thinking and feeling when he placed his hand upon her shoulder. 
the same deep realization he had that morning at home at the breakfast table while watching Vera and Buddy and his mother came back to him. Only it was Bessie he was looking at now and seeing how blind she was. He felt the narrow orbit of her life. From her room to the kitchen of the white folks was the farthest she ever moved. She worked long hours, hard and hot hours, seven days a week, with only Sunday afternoons off. And when she did get off, she wanted fun, hard and fast fun, something to make her feel that she was making up for the starved life she led. It was her hankering for sensation that he liked about her. Most nights she was too tired to go out. She only wanted to get drunk. She wanted liquor, and he wanted her. So he would give her the liquor, and... She would give him herself. He had heard her complain about how hard the white folks worked her. She had told him over and over again that she lived their lives when she was working in their homes, not her own. That was why she told him she drank. He knew why she liked him. He gave her money for drinks. He knew that if he did not give it to her, someone else would. She would see to that. Bessie, too, was very blind. What ought he to tell her? She might just come in handy. Then he realized that whatever he chose to tell her ought not to be anything that would make her feel in any way out of it. She ought to be made fe to feel like she knew it all. God damn, he just simply could not get used to acting like he ought. He should not have to have had to make her think that something was happening that he did not want her to know. Give me time, honey, and I'll tell you, he said, trying to straighten things out. You don't have to unless you want to. Don't be that way. You just can't treat me any old way bigger. I ain't trying to, honey. You can't play me cheap. Take it easy. I know what I'm doing. I hope you do. For Christ's sakes. Aw, oh, come on. I want a drink. Now listen. Keep your business. You don't have to tell me, but you don't come running to me when you need a friend, see? When we get a couple of drinks, I'll tell you about it. Suit yourself. He saw her waiting at the door for him. He put on his coat and cap, and they walked slowly down the stairs, saying nothing. It seemed warmer outside, as though, they were go as though it were going to snow again. The sky was low and dark. The wind blew. As he walked beside Bessie, his feet sank into the soft snow. The streets were empty and silent, stretching before him white and clean under the vanishing glow of a long string of street lamps. As he walked, he saw out of the corners of his eyes Bessie striding beside him, and it seemed that his mind could feel the soft swing of her body as it went forward. He yearned suddenly to be back in bed with her feeling her warm body and pliant next to him's. But the look on her face was a hard and distant one. It separated him from her body by a great suggestion of space. He had not really wanted to go out with her tonight, but her questions and suspicions had made him say yes when she had wanted to go for a drink. As he walked beside her, he felt that there were two Bessies. One, a body that he had just had that he had just had and wanted badly again. The other was in Bessie's face. It asked questions, it bargained, and sold the other Bessie to advantage.
He wished he could clench his fist and swing his arm and blot out, kill, sweep away the Bessie on Bessie's face and leave the other helpless and yielding before him. He would then gather her up and put her in his chest, his stomach, and someplace deep inside him, always keeping her there, and even while he slept, ate, talked, keeping her there, just to feel and know that she was his to have and hold whenever he wanted to. Where are we going? Wherever you want to go. Let's go to the Paris Grill. Okay. They turned a corner and walked to the middle of the block to the grill and went in. An automatic phonograph was playing. They went to a rear table. Bitter, Bigger ordered two slow gin fizzes. They sl sat silent, looking at each other, waiting. He saw Bessie's shoulders jerking in the rhythm to the music. Would she help him? Well, he would ask her. He would frame the story so that she would not have to know everything. He knew that she, that he should have to ask her to dance, but the excitement that had a hold of him would not let him. He was feeling different tonight from every other night. He did not need to dance and sing and clown over the floor in order to blot out a day and night of doing nothing. He was full of excitement. The waitress brought the drinks and Bessie lifted hers. Here's to you, even if you don't want to talk, and even if you is acting queer. Bessie, I'm worried. Aw, oh, come on and drink, she said. Okay. They sipped. Bigger? Huh. Can I help you in what you're doing? Maybe. I want to. You trust me? I have so far. I mean, now. Yes, if you telling me what to trust you for. Maybe I can't do that. Then you don't trust me. It's got to be that way, Bessie. If I trusted you, would you tell me? Maybe. Don't say maybe, Bigger. Listen, honey, he said, not liking the way he was talking to her, but afraid of telling her outright. The reason I'm acting like this is I got something big on. What? It'll mean a lot of money. I wish you'd either tell me or quit talking about it. They were silent. He saw Bessie drain her glass. I'm ready to go, she said. Aw, I want to get some sleep. You mad? Maybe. He did not want her to be that way. He could. How could he make her stay? How much could he tell her? Could he make her trust him without telling her everything? He suddenly felt she would come closer to him if he made her feel that he was in danger. That's it. Make her feel concerned about him. Maybe I'll have to go out of town soon, he said. The police? Maybe. What'd you do? I'm planning it now. I'm planning to do it now. But where'd you get that money? Look, Bessie, if I had to leave town and wanted dough, would you help me if I split it with you? If you took me with you, you wouldn't have to split. He was silent. He had not thought of Bessie's being with him. A woman was dangerous, a burden when a man was running away. He had read of how men had been caught because of women, and he did not want that to happen to him. But if yes, if he told her yes just enough to get her to work with him. Okay, he said. I'll say this much. I'll take you if you help me. You really mean that? Sure. Then you gonna tell me? Yes, he could dress up the story.
Why even mention Jan? Why not tell it so that if she were ever questioned, she would say the things he wanted her to say, things that would help him? He lifted the glass and drained the liquor and set it down and leaned forward and toyed with the cigarette in his fingers. He spoke with bated breath. Listen, here's the dope, see? The gal while I'm working, the daughter of the old man who's rich, a millionaire, has done run off with a red, see? Eloped? Huh? Er, uh, yeah, eloped. With a red? Yeah, one of them communists. What's wrong with her? Uh, she's crazy. Nobody don't know when she's gone, so last night I took the money from her room, see? Oh. They don't know where she is. But what you gonna do? They don't know where she is, he said again. What you mean? He sucked his cigarette. He saw her looking at him, her black eyes wide with eager interest. He liked that look. In one way, he hated to tell her because he wanted to keep her guessing. He wanted to take as long as possible in order to see that look of complete absorption upon her face. It made him feel alive and gave him a heightened sense of value of himself. I got an idea, he said. Oh, bigger, tell me. Don't talk so loud. Well, tell me. They don't know where the girl is. They might think she's kidnapped, see? His whole pot body was tense as he spoke. His lips trembled. Oh, that was what you got so excited about when I told you about Leob and Leopold. Well, what do you think? Would they really think she's kidnapped? We can make them think it. She looked into her empty glass. Bigger beckoned the waitress and ordered two more drinks. He took a deep swallow and said, The gal's gone, see? They don't know where she is. Don't nobody know, but they might think somebody did if they was told, see? You mean, you mean we could say we did it? You mean write to them? And ask for money, sure, he said. And get it, too, you see. We, we in cash, because nobody else is trying to. But suppose she shows up. She won't. How you know? I just know she won't. Bigger, you know something about that girl. You know where she is. That's all, right. That's all right I know about where she is. I know we won't have to worry about her showing up, see? Oh, Bigger, this is crazy. Then hell, we won't talk about it no more. Oh, I don't mean that. Then what do you mean? I mean, we've got to be careful. We can get $10,000. How? We can have them leave the money somewhere. They'll think they can get the girl back. Bigger... You know where that girl is, she said, giving her voice a tone of half-question, half-statement. Nah, then it'll be in the papers. She'll show up. She won't. How you know? She just won't. He saw her lips moving, then heard her speak softly, leaning toward him. Bigger, you ain't done nothing to that girl, is you? He stiffened with fear. He suddenly felt that he wanted something in his hand, something solid and heavy, his gun, a knife, a brick. If you say that again, I'll slap you back from this table. Oh, come on now, don't be a fool. Bigger, you oughtn't have done it. You going to help me? Say yes or no. Gee, Bigger, you scared? 
You scared after letting me take that silver from Mrs. Hurd's home? After letting after letting me get Miss Macy's radio? You scared now? I don't know. You want me to tell you. Well, I told you. That's a woman. You always want to know something, then you run like a rabbit. But we'll get caught. Not if we do it right. But how could we do it bigger? I'll figure it out. But I want to know. It'll be easy. But how? I can fix it so you can pick up the money and nobody will bother you. They catch people who do things like that. If you're scared, they will catch you. How could I pick up the money? We'll tell them where to leave it. But they'll have police watching. Not if they want the gal back. We got a club over them, see? And I'll be watching too. I work in the house where they live. If they try to double-cross us, I'll let you know. You reckon we could do it? We could have them throw the money out of a car. You could be in some spot to see if they send anybody to watch. If you see anybody around, then you don't touch the money, see? But if they want the gal, they won't watch. There was a long silence. Bigger, I don't know, she said. We could go to New York, to Harlem if we had money. New York's a real town. We could lay low for a while. But suppose they mark the money. They won't. And if they do, I'll tell you. You see, I'm right there in the house. But if we run off, they'll think we did it. They'll be looking for us for years, Bigger. We won't run off right away. We'll lay low for a while. I don't know, Bigger. He felt satisfied. He could tell by the way she looked that if she pushed, if he pushed hard enough, she would come with him. She was afraid, and he could handle her through fear. He looked at his watch. It was getting late. He ought to go back and have a look at that furnace. Listen, I gotta go. He paid the waitress, and they went out. There was another way to bind her to him. He drew forth the roll of bills, peeled off one for himself, and held out the rest of money toward her. Here, he said, get you something and save the rest for me. Oh, she looked at the money and hesitated. Don't you want it? Yeah, she said, taking the roll. If you string along with me, you'll get plenty more. They stopped in front of her door. He stood looking at her. Well, he said, what you think? Bigger, honey, I, I don't know, she said plaintively. You wanted me to tell you. I'm scared. Don't you trust me? But we ain't never done anything like this before. They'll look everywhere for us for something like this. It ain't like coming to work where I work at night when the white folks has gone out of town and stealing something. It ain't. It's up to you. I'm scared, Bigger. Who on earth will think we did it? I don't know. You really think they don't know where the girl is? I know they don't. You know? Nah. She'll turn up. She won't. And anyhow, she's a crazy girl. They might even think she, she's in it herself just to get money from her family. They might even think the Reds is doing it. They won't think we did. They don't think we got enough guts in it to do us. They think black people is too scared. I don't know. Did I ever tell you wrong? Nah, but we ain't never done nothing like this before. Well, I ain't wrong now. When do you want to do it? As soon as they begin to worry about the gal. You reckon we really could? 
I told you what I think. Not nah, bigger. I ain't going to do it. I think you... He turned abruptly and walked away from her. Bigger! She ran over the snow and tugged at his sleeve. He stopped, but she did not turn, but did not turn around. She caught his coat and pulled him about. Under the yellow sheen of a street lamp, they confronted each other silently. All about them was the white snow and the night. They were cut off from the world and were conscious only of each other. He looked at her without expression, waiting. Her eyes were fastened fearfully and distrustfully upon his face. He held his body in an attitude that suggested he was delicately balanced upon a hairline, waiting to see if she would push him forward or draw him back. Her lips smiled faintly, and she lifted her hand and touched his face with her fingers. He knew that she was fighting out in her feelings, feelings the questions of how much he meant to her. She grabbed his hand and squeezed it, telling him in the pressure of her fingers that she wanted him. But bigger, honey, let's don't do that. We getting along all right like we is now. He drew his hand away. I'm going, he said. When will I see you, honey? I don't know. He started off again, and she overtook him and encircled him with her arms. Bigger, honey! Come on, Bessie, what are you going to do? She looked at him with her round, helpless black eyes. He was still poised, wondering if she would pull him to her or let him fall alone. He was enjoying her agony, seeing and feeling the worth of himself in her bewildered desperation. Her lips trembled, and she began to cry. "'What are you going to do?' he asked again. "'If I do it, it's because it's you want me to,' she sobbed. "'He put his arm about her shoulders. "'Mom, Bessie,' he said, "'don't cry.' "'She stopped and dried her eyes. "'He looked at her closely. "'She'll do it,' he thought. "'I gotta go,' he said. "'I ain't going in right now. "'Where are you going?' He found that he was afraid of what she did, now that she was working with him. His peace of mind depended on knowing what she did and why. I'm going to get a pint. That was all right. She was feeling as if she always felt. Well, I'll see you tomorrow night, huh? Okay, honey, but be careful. Look, Bessie, don't you worry none. Just trust me. No matter what happens, they won't catch us. They won't even know you had anything to do with it. If they start after us, where could we hide, Bigger? You knows we's black. We can't just go anywhere. He looked around the lamp-lit, snow-covered street. There's plenty of places, he said. I know the south side from A to Z. We could even hide out in one of those old buildings, see? Like I did last time. Nobody ever looks in them. He pointed across the street to a black, looming, empty apartment building. Well, she sighed. I'm going, he said. So long, honey. He walked toward the car line. Where he looked back, he saw her standing in the snow. She had not moved. She'll be all right, he thought. She'll go along. Snow was falling again. The streets were long paths leading through a dense jungle, lit here and there, with torches held high in invisible hands. He waited ten minutes for a car, and none came. 
He turned the corner and walked, his head down, his hands dug into his pockets, going to the Daltons. He was confident. During the last day and night, new fears had come, but new feelings had also helped to allay those fears. The moment when he had stood above Mary's bed and found that she was dead for the fear of electrocution had entered in his flesh and blood. But at home at the breakfast table with his mother and sister, seeing how blind they were, and overhearing Peggy and Mrs. Dalton talking in the kitchen, a new feeling had been born in him, a feeling that all blotted out the fear of death. As long as he moved carefully and knew what he was about, he could handle things, he thought. As long as he could take his life into his own hands and dispose of it as he pleased, as long as he could decide just when and where he would run to, he need not be afraid. He felt that he had destiny in his grasp. He was more alive than he could ever remember having been. His mind and attention were pointed, focused toward a goal. For the first time in his life he moved consciously between two sharply defined poles. He was moving away from the threatening penalty of death, from the death-like times that brought him the tightness and hotness in his chest, and he was moving toward that sense of fullness he had so often but inadequately felt in magazines and movies.